Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Oh, Benny. Well, that was what? a big exhale. I know. <laughs> I feel like it's been one of those weeks. Mm. And, a little bit, a uh, little bit. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit of stress going on, which is always good for us to attend to, right? And we're sort of in the middle here between this and that, shall I say. Yeah. This, <laughs> this and, and that. that can mean so much. I know. It could mean a whole lot. Yeah. Anyway, I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area for the last, woo, 26 years. Craziness. Uh, every Sunday, I do Sunday meditation with Loretta at 11 o'clock on zoom so anybody can join us anywhere and it's just a a, a a once a week thing where you can come and i'll kind of hang out with like-minded people and exhale just like what i did just like <sighs> yeah you know sometimes you got to do it and the quick yeah. a quick little shout out to the zoom company and peoples they've extended pretty much the minimum of 40 minutes per session for the holidays so if you if you don't know that you know now so it's another opportunity for uh, to maybe get in to watch you and view you and all about what's Reiki and. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that information. Mm -hmm. I am kind of um, been watching how we've all gone to Zoom, right? We're all Zooming. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, there's other platforms out there too, mm -hmm. but um, that's the one that I'm I'm most familiar with. Right. So yeah. So I use it. Yeah. So please join me Sunday uh, meditation with Loretta every Sunday at 11 a.m. You can sign up for everything at schedule.reikioasis.com. And then uh, the day after tomorrow, which is Saturday, November 21st, I can't believe we're heading toward the end of November. I have my monthly class for women called Temple of the Divine Feminine. And that is also a Zoom class. So you can join me from anywhere. And we have a wonderful time in there. We gather as women, we talk about things, we do healing work and meditations and and uh, honor the cycles, as we say. And it's very uplifting. I the, the women that come regularly say they wouldn't miss it for the world. It is their uh, sanctuary, it's their soft place to land. And we, we need our soft place to land. That's all I have to say about that. Big shout out to my patrons. I am a listener supported show. And I, from the depths of my heart, send you gratitude. If you want to help support this show and keep great people on the air, you can go to patreon.com slash the Loretta Brown show and become part of my inner circle, as they say. Little quick check in with astrology because I want to spend a lot of time talking with my guest today. We did begin the week with a super new moon in Scorpio last weekend, and it was a time to plant seeds for the future and hopefully for something new. Saturday, the day after tomorrow, when I have my temple class with women, I do time these things. It's a kind of a big day. The sun moves out of the watery Scorpio, Scorpio into the fiery sign of Sagittarius, and you might be feeling more adventurous. Sagittarius is represented by a centaur pointing its arrow high into the starry night sky. And if we trace the direction of the arrow, it points directly at the star Antares, which is located in the constellation of Scorpio and is known as the heart of the scorpion. 
and Taurus is a star associated with the deep pains of the heart, and it can bring destruction and death, but it can also change, uh, bring the change of heart that is needed for a grand rebirth. So this might be the perfect day for us to talk about what is the direction of your life? What is keeping you rigid or fixed in place? Where is the pain located in you? And is there any hope as we move forward? And I'm going to tell you, there's always hope, you know, there is always hope. And by looking directly into the heart, we might realize that all of the things happening to us are simply encouraging us to grow and transform so we can ultimately be reborn stronger and wiser than before. So as we talk about how do we alleviate our, our pain, our anxieties, and our fear? I think it's a great segue for my guest. If you or someone you love suffers from back pain, anxiety, or chronic pain, you're listening to the right show. In 2018, the Centers for Disease Control reported that an estimated 20% or 50 million adult U.S. citizens suffered from chronic pain. It went on to say that the overall chronic pain prevalence in the U.S. is higher than that of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. The studies concluded that chronic pain is the number one disability in America. The public's perception of chronic pain is that it's unsolvable, and the best one can expect is to possibly live well with it. Well, my guest today is going to shed some light on whether that's solvable or not. My guest, Dr. David Hanscom, was an orthopedic complex spinal deformity surgeon for 35 years at Swedish Medical Center, located right here in Seattle. He quit his job in 2018 to dedicate his life to stopping unnecessary and harmful surgeries that create further problems, including more pain. Now based in the San Francisco Bay Area, he is offering his direct your own care journey that has helped countless people from around the world go pain free. Dr. Hanscom is the author of Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Surgeon's Advice and also another great book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hanscom. It's a delight to have you here. Thank you, Loretta. I'm really excited to be here. You are that interesting uh, man that that has one foot in two worlds, don't you? <laughs> well, I think I've, yes, absolutely. But I am actually, I'll just sound, um, I'm right in the middle of the correct world in that medicine's a healing profession <clears throat> and we're supposed to be treating people and I take offense now at terms like integrated medicine and alternative medicine. And because that is medicine, because every symptom in your body, positive or negative, comes from your brain processing the environment. So if you're in the sun on the beach, relaxed, your heart rate's slower, your muscles are relaxed, you feel good. Well, that's because your sun, your brain interpreted that sun and warmth as safety, and your body responded accordingly. So there's a little molecules in the body called cytokines. Are you familiar with this term? Mm -hmm. And so there, I didn't, honestly, I learned, I learned some medical school, but had forgotten about it. And we're sort of on a work group right now that has brought this in the light 
is that cytokines are little molecules or little proteins that are only eight or nine, <clears throat> excuse me, eight or nine amino acids long that are the communicators between every cell in the body. They're on every cell surface everywhere. So if you have anti-inflammatory cytokines, your body's relaxed, your immune system's calmed down, and you're on high alert and ready to take care of yourself. When you're under threat, your inflammatory cytokines are fired up. You have adrenaline, cortisol, et cetera. And so when you're on high alert, it actually puts your body under stress. And when it's sustained, why you get sick. So again, if there's a threat, your body processes the threat, your brain interprets it, your inflammatory cytokines go up, your neurochemicals go up, go up and you have physical symptoms. So your environment translates into physical symptoms with your brain being the processing unit. What's been really fascinating, and this is not new news, this has been in the research literature for over 20 years, is that mental threats are processed the same way in the body as a physical threat, uh -huh. but humans can escape their consciousness. And then it turns out that repressed thoughts and emotions are even more of a threat than ones you feel. So then you have physical threats like bullies, viruses, bacteria, wild animals, et cetera. Then you have the mental threats, but it turns out that the mental threats are a bigger problem than the physical threats because you can't escape them. Then it turns out you have this response, your body, your heart rate goes up, you're laying in bed with your heart racing, you're sweaty, and you have this feeling that's uncomfortable because when you're under threat, every living creature has a sensation that's intended to be incredibly unpleasant that forces them to take action. And the species of animals that didn't pay attention to these cues didn't survive. The humans that are alive right now is really survival of the most anxious because humans have a word. I mean, my cat has the same sensation, but humans have language. So we call it anxiety. It's just a word. So anxiety is a response to a threat. It's not the cause. And the, the reason why this is so critical is that this powerful survival response is so much stronger than your conscious brain. You can't control it. And if you didn't have anxiety, you wouldn't survive. So it's what you have, but it's not who you are. So you can't get rid of it. You're not going to conquer it. But the key to this whole healing process is you learn to assimilate it. It calms down your body's chemistry and physical symptoms start to disappear. And then what has really fascinated me, which I did had no idea, again, in the literature for years, is that anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar, and even schizophrenia schizophrenia are all inflammatory disorders. In other words, they're just words for the behaviors created trying to avoid this sensation that's so uncomfortable. And remember, again, anxiety is intended to be so unpleasant and repellent that it forces you to take action. And when you can't escape it, it's a problem. So if you look at chronic pain, to me, the mental pain is a much bigger problem than the physical pain. And you're saying, well, why is an orthopedic spine surgeon talking about anxiety? That's a psychological issue. It is not. It's a physiological issue. It's your body's response to a threat. So once you understand the problem, it's disturbingly simple how to solve it. Wow, you said so much there. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, dissect that down just a little bit. So anxiety. You know, I, I'm just being with how like it, during the pandemic, like we're anxious. <laughs> right. People are anxious. And so the threat is the virus, I suppose you might say, right? Well, but also uncertainty, probably the ultimate way to create anxiety is uncertainty. And have you read the book called Man's Search for Meaning by Chance by Viktor Frankl? Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, he's an Austrian psychiatrist who survived the concentration camps. He said the worst part of the ordeal is not knowing when it was going to end. Of everything he went through, the incredible suffering, the worst part of it was the uncertainty, which blew me away. And of course, what are we doing right now? There's no end to this thing. I don't want to go into the politics of the vaccines, et cetera, but um, we actually, our work group actually came up with a solution for the pandemic, but we can't get anybody to listen to it. So by, it's the same process with chronic pain. Chronic pain is very solvable by taking known, proven, effective resources and presenting them in an organized, structured way. It's the same thing with the COVID virus. It's a threat, just like chronic pain is a threat. So what you do, you make sure your body is healthy with the vitamin D, zinc, magnesium, stuff like that. And then you start recruiting the body's own anti-inflammatory process through the vagus nerve. It's called the parasympathetic nervous system. So what kills people in COVID is a sympathetic response. And there's debate about bradykinins versus cytokines, et cetera. But the bottom line is your lungs get filled with fluid. That's a threat. So there's ways of recruiting the, the parasympathetic nervous system to counteract that, that by the time you just take care of the details systematically, recruit your body's natural defense mechanisms, and then pull in the big guns when you have to, this COVID pandemic is solvable. Same thing wow. the way chronic pain is solvable. Mm -hmm. One thing with COVID, it just happens faster. Mm -hmm. But as people keep, so what happens in, I don't want to digress too much off the topic of anxiety here, but again, in medicine, we're treating symptoms. So let me just say the one message I want to say to the group today. Okay, so there's a step back to the conversation. Again, think about flying a Boeing jet without a computer, right? It's not going to happen. <laughs> so the Boeing jet is a structure. It has sensors, you know, altimeters, flap angles, tire pressure, et cetera. And so the computers analyze the sensory input and fly in the jet. So you can't have one work without the other. Same thing with the human body. The nervous system through all its senses takes in all the sensory input and it responds accordingly. 99% of the time, our body's intended to be in a neutral, comfortable zone. You don't think about pleasure or pain too much if, if you're pretty healthy because your body automatically adjusts your behavior to be good. If you have a symptom, whatever it is, a headache, stomachache, whatever it is, it doesn't just happen, right? Why, why, why would you have a headache? Why would you have a migraine? Why would you have an irritable bowel? So remember, your body's processing the environment, is converting those into chemical changes, inflammatory changes, and when they're sustained, people get sick. They get really sick. People in chronic pain die on the average of seven years faster than people without chronic pain. In chronic pain, people's brains shrink why would that be? Because the inflammation chews up the brain cells. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, when you treat chronic pain, it actually re-expands. But I'm saying in general, you, your body translates your environment into physical symptoms. What medicine's doing right now and why I quit my practice is that we're treating the symptoms, but we're not treating the root cause. So the root cause is your response to the environment. So you have to treat the person. And I don't like the word holistic or integrated because it's just, that's medicine. I mean, you can't, it's like, how do you say this? It's like you go to the, take your car to the shop that's missing something that hasn't been tuned up in five years and you might replace a spark plug and it keeps limping along, but the issue is it needs a total body tune-up. So we're treating the symptoms, which doesn't work and it just doesn't work. And spine surgery, the success rate of a spine fusion for back pain is 20% success rate, 20%. 
So when I quit my practice, I'm seeing all these patients going to pain-free with very simple, known effective resources. And I'm watching, I was watching three to five patients every week having horrendous things done to normal spines. So the diversity, the diversions became so great. I said, look, I have to stop. And when I quit about 10 years ago, the number of spine surgeries per year were about five or 600,000. I looked this up yesterday at the request of a friend of mine. It's up to 1.2 million. Oh. So you're, you're doing over, I don't know how many of those are lumbar fusions for back pain, but the success rate is 20%. Then the data also shows that if you have a failed spine surgery, that there's a chance, if you operate in the presence of untreated chronic pain, you have a chance of making it worse 40 to 60% of the time. You have double the chance of making things worse than you make things better. Hey, I just want to go back to the main issue I want to make today is that your body is a processing unit, just like the computer in a jet plane. The computer in the jet plane, um, the jet plane has 2 million parts. The human body has 50 trillion cells. The brain itself has 80 billion cells. Each neuron in your brain is connected to 10,000 other neurons. That's a lot of connections. So again, you have this processing unit here. We look at the autonomic nervous system, which is the vagus nerve, the spinal cord, the peripheral nervous system. And we're also realizing the obvious that it's just one nervous system. So whatever symptoms you have, it's not psychological or mental or body or structural. It's just one unit. We just respond as a unit. Mm. So again, the key issue for solving any chronic disease is treating the problem, the root cause. And so we treat symptoms. We're making a lot of money off these symptoms. It's really a very profit-driven situ situation. So the producers and the people that manufacture supplies and medications, et cetera, actually don't want us to cure disease. Chronic pain is a curable, solvable problem, period. Wow. Um, that is startling to me. I think you said 1.2 million, million and year. only 20% are successful. So that's 20% of lumbar fusions. So I don't know, okay. I have to look up the data more closely. So that's 1.2 right. spine procedures. But I will tell you that normally a spine surgeon operates between 10%. On the average, when I started out as a resident, spine surgeons operate about 10% of their new patients and you know maybe 15% at the most. So the last five years, lots of surgeons are 20, 30, 40% of their patients end up in the operating room table. And the decisions are made on the first visit. Wow. So I don't know you, you don't know me. The data says really clearly you want to calm down the nervous system first before you do surgery, even before you make a decision. Because when you're fired up and upset and angry and anxious, you can't think clearly. It actually changes the blood supply to your brain. So what happened the last seven years of my practice, every patient underwent was called prehab. They would go through sleep, stress management, medication adjustment, conditioning. And what started to happen is that my surgical outcomes became better, but all of a sudden people started canceling the surgery, even with very severe pinched nerves. And I'm going, excuse me? So they come in for the final visit. So I do this for at least eight to 12 weeks. And for my major deformed operations, which are huge, I would do that for a year. Just calm them down, get to know them, really get really excellent. But what happened the back pain had to go away. The neck pain had to go away. Those are not amenable to surgery. Then they had to be sleeping, et cetera. At the end of my practice, I was operating on 4.6 of my patients. I put myself out of business. 
Oh, and it wow. wasn't my plan. <laughs> it was rather awkward um, at the end. But again, the other thing that's fun, we'll talk about this a little bit later, according to what you do, is that, you know, medicine gets really critical of, you know, the acupuncture, the chiropractic, and the Reiki and all that type of stuff. What you're doing, we now know this through Dr. Porges' work, who wrote the book called The Polyvagal Theory, is that you're stimulating the vagus nerve, which is very anti-inflammatory. You're directly causing an anti-inflammatory response, which counteracts these chronic disease. Your world is much closer to solving people's pain. In fact, it's dead on as far as solving people's pain and distress than the medical world is, who is actually not promoting safety. They're actually promoting threat. It's become very predatory, by the way. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But the bottom line is the pathway that you're on and why I'm so excited about talking to you and, 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 and people in your world is that this is not alternative medicine. This is flat out what you do to heal people. So, the and I, line, yeah, go ahead. I, I want to just share something real quick because uh, you just validated something for me years ago. You know, I've been in business a long time. Years ago, I had a woman come to me who had chronic back pain for 16 years and she had tried everything. And she said, I don't know, maybe you're a quack, a doodle, or something, but I'll come and try this Reiki thing. And, um, within 20 minutes, her pain had gone, which is that stimulation of that vagus, right? Right. And it never came back. Yeah. We it see that all the time. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Medicine is throwing darts at, well, I get my darts thrown at me all the time because they're going, what are you doing? You're a surgeon. Well, yeah. again, okay, listen to this one, but there's not one research paper in 60 years, not one, that says spine surgery works for back pain, not one. And so it's up over $20 billion a year. And then the things we're talking about, the mindfulness, meditation, relaxation, all this stuff has data to support it. It's just not covered by insurance. So right now, medicine is offering procedures based on whether it's paid for or not, not whether they're effective, and it's predatory. And again, when you're treating symptoms, not the root cause, it doesn't really change much. So what we're finding out by going after the root cause, so the idea, so a couple things. So, it's, so what's really disturbing is that we people with many, many years of chronic pain, my record is a woman who is in chronic pain for 55 years. She's been fine now for six years. We have people all the time within one to two weeks go to pain-free and they stay that way. But once you sort of change the way you process your environment, in other words, if you're always in high alert, so the essence of the problem is ongoing threat. And the essence of the solution is learning tools to regulate your own body's chemistry. Once you, are, once you understand the concepts it's just a matter of time. So the key issue, some people don't want to regulate the concepts and there's a reason for that also. But once you engage in the process, it's not magic. It's not about, it's not about believing David Hanscom. My mantra for many decades has been just implement what we know. We have all this great research, nothing changes. One of my, so I did write the book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roman Podocratic Pain, which gives you the background of the process. Then I put a website together it has, it has now evolved into what's called the doc journey, the DOC journey. And it's an eight week, well, it's, there's a bunch of ways of getting through it, but it's a package of services that includes a group session every Tuesday and Thursday between 30 to 40 people. And between the clear pathway that we sequence based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play, you're shifting your nervous system, you're calming down the body's chemistry, 
And I get you, I bet you have over half of this group now has gone to pain-free in the last three months. So we're shocked. So like you pointed out, the group sessions are incredibly powerful. And we now know from Dr. Stephen Porges's wife, Sue Carter, that the magic chemical is probably oxytocin, mm. which is strongly anti-inflammatory, which mm -hmm. again, I didn't know a year ago. And maybe you already knew this, but you know, we're going, well, we know the group therapies are powerful, but we didn't know why. But oxytocin is incredibly anti-inflammatory. It's, as you know, the most social molecule in the body. And she's one of the top three people in the world on, on oxytocin. So we've just gone through a learning process. It's been profound. So the doc journey is a very much straight line pathway through, the, through autochronic pain. It's consistent. It's very self-directed. The group therapies are wonderful. And it sounds like you've had the same experience in the group. I um, checked out your, your doc journey website as well as your other website. And I'm just going to tell the listeners that um, Dr. Hanscom has this all laid out and it's very affordable. I'm just telling you right now that his online stuff, um, if you're suffering from chronic pain and chronic anxiety, because I'm really hearing you say something that to me is a very Reiki statement, which is the underlying, you know, we look at in, in my world, we look at disease as dis-ease and right. we look at it as having an underlying emotional mental conflict, right? So if we right. resolve that, then the body heals itself, so to speak. Can, yeah. can I um, just change your language a little bit? Yes, please so, do. So this is what happens. This is so critical. And I know it sounds a little silly here, but we always talk about the, so remember emotional pain and, and negative thoughts are processed the same way as a physical threat. It hurts. Yeah. So the key issue is, is awareness is probably the one word that the whole process works on. And you have to be vulnerable. And remember, anxiety represents being vulnerable. And anger protects you and makes you safe. From the single cell bacteria up to humans, what are the rewards for being vulnerable? None. If you're vulnerable in the wild, you're dead. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what's ironic is, is that we're mammals. We also have the same issue that we are not rewarded for being vulnerable. Then we have this whole complexity of language where if you trust somebody and they hurt you, it hurts. So then you have people, as you know, have failed relationships and they decide never to get into a relationship again because they were hurt. Well, that doesn't make sense exactly because life is all sorts of things coming at you. But as you learn to process the pain and work on the body's chemistry, then you can do whatever you want. You're a free person. And I'm not sure what our time frame is, but I can talk about the whole mantra. It's called the ring of fire. Have you heard of this process I've talked about? It's sort of the model of the entire process. We can talk about that. But let me just go, let's stick with the anxiety for a second because I really want your listeners to hear this. To me, it's almost a human societal survival issue. Because we keep treating anxiety psychologically. It's just a physiological response to a threat. The way you, so I'll ask you a rhetorical question that I don't expect you to answer, just more or less for teaching purposes. Okay, anxiety is this, is this massive neurochemical response to a threat. This unconscious response, your conscious brain processes about 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. It's 20 million versus 40. Plus you need anxiety to survive. You wouldn't survive more than two minutes without anxiety because you wouldn't even breathe. It's what keeps us alive. It's our gift of life. So it's what you have, but it's not who you are. 
So the three. So the question we're asked rhetorically, just to get the rest of the discussion going. So anxiety is twenty million to forty. You can't control it. It's necessary for survival. How do you solve it? How do you de- how do you decrease how do you decrease anxiety? <laughs> uh, uh, part of me wants to say stop thinking. <laughs> That's called repression. <laughs> That's what we do. I said, well, that's what got me. I'm able from being uh-huh. a fearless spine surgeon to crippling anxiety in one day. You know my story. So I had a panic attack on the 520 bridge. I'm going to, I'm honestly, my mindset was bring it on. And what covered or kept me safe was perfectionism, which is an angry, self-flagellating process. So anger, my perfectionism kept me emotionally safe. So by being perfectionist, I didn't have to feel. So my thing was I took on the toughest spine cases. My attitude was bring it on. My nickname in high school was The Brick, and I thought that was a compliment, but in retrospect, not so much. So by being really tough, it works for a while, and then you break. You always break at some point. So I broke when I was 37 years old. So I went on this 30-year quest, which just sort of ended this year in a way, that when I started understanding that anxiety is just a sensation, just a word we use to describe this response, just a word. So my cat has the same response, but she doesn't have a word for it. The problem is if your boss yells at you, you can hold on to that for quite a while because your, your thoughts about the situation are just as intense as the actual situation. If my cat gets frightened by a dog, she takes action, she escapes, then she lays down, lays down and goes to sleep. You might lay down and, and have your heart racing for a day or two or even a week or two. So that mental leak creates that same discord in your body as a physical threat. So... The answer to the question, by the way, I won't keep you on the spot. The way you lower anxiety is simply lower your stress chemicals. Remember, it's just a, anxiety is just a word that describes the sensation. which And so it's never going to be pleasant. It keeps you alive. And so the way you do this is a bunch of ways of doing this. You simply lower the stress chemicals. So what you are doing in your work, you're helping people lower their stress reaction. So that is that's physiological not psychological. So what's happening is a very popular response. The antidote to anxiety is control. So something that makes you anxious, you take action to solve it or evade it or deal with it, anxiety is solved. But when you're trapped, your body puts in more of a stress reaction, more inflammatory cytokines, more, more survival chemicals. And as you crank it up, you become angry. Anger and anxiety are the same thing. Anger is simply anxiety on anxiety is a chemical kick. So in our society, we're trapped. We, we have uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so correct me if I'm wrong, most people, including myself especially, but most people view anxiety as a psychological issue. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm just curious. I'm just curious from my own perspective. This is really critical, I think, because this is the essence of this of the problem. And also just understanding the physiological nature of anxiety that changes the game. You don't have to solve it. Remember, it's amoral. There's all sorts of unpleasant sensations that come out of the survival response. It doesn't care what it does to another person. You don't care what you do to yourself. It's simply a survival sensation. But you can't solve it. You don't have to solve it. So the key issue is that you simply separate from it. And so I say, look, get rid of the word anxiety. Just use the word elevated stress response or elevated sympathetic response. Visualize a large thermometer on the other side of the room. And if you become nervous or agitated or angry, whatever they are, 
just visualize that temperature gauge going up. And what you're going to do is use tools to drop it back down. So for instance, um, just have your listeners just drop your shoulders, take a deep breath. And we know that slow breathing between six to 10 breaths per minute directly stimulates the vagus nerve. So you drop down the inflammation. Same thing with humming, stimulates the seventh nerve in the back of your throat, which is connected to the vagus nerve, which actually drops it down. There's certain pitches of music, like lullaby type music, that makes a difference. Just drop your shoulders, I call it active meditation for three to five seconds, and put your brain on a different sensation, and you've changed the sensory input so you have less of an output. So those are exercise, different anti-inflammatory diets, all those things drop inflammatory markers. And then I'm going to ask you in your second about what you do in your world to do the same thing, because that's what you're doing. But when, patients, when people understand why they're doing it, in other words, if you're humming, doing mindfulness relaxation just to do it, it's a, it's a different, I mean, one of the most powerful words in the human language is the word because. So I'm going to hum for a second, not for some psychological reason. I'm going to hum because it stimulates my vagus nerve, which is anti-inflammatory. And it works. When you breathe through your nose, very strongly anti-inflammatory. It, it, there's some certain anti-inflammatory chemicals that you get from breathing through your nose. So those are the, the direct methods of dropping down the stress response. But the other one, which is even more, well, I would say equally as powerful, that you need these tools every day, all day long, just to drop it down, drop it down. Remember, anxiety is what you have. It's not going away. But if you get to watch it and separate from it, you don't have to feel bad about these crazy thoughts and emotions. You just watch it. Then what happens, I can't tell you how much this happens, people start to thrive. Because you're not fighting off the survival response, you get to thrive. And so you can't use compassion to combat this massive force. Compassion is just a word too. It's also the essence of human connection is awareness and compassion. But see, once you're not fighting off these crazy reactions all the time, compassion emerges, you emerge. So you allow yourself to heal, you allow yourself to emerge, and you always hear the word, you know, connecting to your authentic self. Well, you don't, if you force that to happen, it's sort of a story. If you just allow it to happen, you are connected to who you are. So the indirect methods, I call it neuroplasticity, you're changing your brain, you react to the environment differently. In other words, being, instead of having stress, automatic survival response becomes stress choice or response. And so as you become aware of, the, of this situation. And the negative part of that is you have to allow yourself to feel anxious. So you have to allow yourself to feel, then you change directions. If you're using mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation to combat these sensations, you're in trouble. So it's awareness, separation, redirecting. There's an exercise that you know well called expressive writing. You simply write down your negative thoughts, whatever you're, whatever you're thinking, negative or positive, throw it away. And then you just drop your shoulders down and change direction. So you've done awareness and separation reprogramming. Forgiveness is aware, aware that you're angry. Forgiveness is a separation. And redirecting is play, giving back the spiritual journey, get, getting your perspective back. But if you're using the spiritual journey to combat the anxiety frustration, you're going to lose. But if you break it, if you, you have to let go in order to move forward. But what happens is that the structure of your brain changes. You're changing the structure of your brain. So it becomes somewhat automatic. Instead of always having to think of a different alternative, your brain changes to a different reaction automatically. 
So between the direct, so again, just to summarize really quickly, you have anxiety reaction. You have to separate your identity from this reaction, which is on in ongoing awareness. So you get to watch it. It's never going to be pleasant. Then there's direct methods to drop down the chemical response. So the way you decrease the sensation of anxiety is simply lower the stress chemicals. You can do that. You can do that directly through mindfulness meditation, relaxation, etc. And you also do it with neuroplasticity, where you change the response to the threat. So as you learn these tools, you become safe. But remember, it starts with awareness of what your reaction is in the first place. Anyway, that's my lecture for the day. I so love everything you just said. Um, I was jotting down notes over here as quick as I could because I, I really, really like it. Um, so many people uh, come to me and they're so anxious because they're in pain. Right. And it's like, if the pain goes away, I won't be anxious. But I think you're saying address the anxiety and then the pain goes away. Well, anxiety actually is the pain. Mm. It's the same thing. Remember, pain, pain says danger, anxiety says danger. So anxiety actually is the pain. And I also wrote a website post called, Am I Operating on Your Pain or Anxiety? But one of the most profound paradigm shifts happened about six years ago. I had four gentlemen in two weeks, all very accomplished people, real estate agents, SWAT team member, all sorts of stuff that had surgical lesions. And we started the prehab process. But I noticed on their intake questionnaires that their anxiety was like 10 out of 10. And these are really accomplished people. So I asked them the question, said, look, if I did surgery and get rid of your leg pain or arm pain, but you had to live with the anxiety, or we could get rid of your anxiety and you had to live with the pain, what would you choose? So every one of them grabbed their arm or their leg and said, well, if I get rid of the pain, won't the anxiety go away? And I go, no, it's a different reaction. So every one of them said, I want to get rid of the anxiety. They could sort of deal with the pain, but they couldn't deal with the anxiety. In my experience, I was in chronic pain for 15 years. I had 17 different physical symptoms. The worst part by far was two things. One of them was the anxiety, could not escape it. <clears throat> I developed a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder, which is the worst anxiety disorder possible. You probably know from my book, I was actively suicidal. If you told me I had to live the rest of my life in that state of mind, I'd say, fine, I'm out of here. It makes no sense to live like this. Anyway, with these four gentlemen, I realized that, and it changed my practice because I realized that, okay, that's what we do was called prehab to calm down the nervous system. Remember, anxiety is this reaction to the environment. And as you calm that down, again, none of my patients that went to pain-free saw a psychologist, even though I do support psychology a lot. There's a whole world of somatic psychology that gives wisdom, support, and guidance to actually learn these tools. But just talk therapy can't work. So mm -hmm. it's touching, feeling, learning to feel safe with your emotions, et cetera. Those things work. Then the next month, I had two people from New York flying to Seattle with, with the same questions. Both of them had surgery and same conversation. They were very high strung, very anxious. And with all six of those people, as they went through the tools, calmed down their physical pain disappeared. And that's what's fascinating is that not only does the anxiety, so not only does the pain disappear, which it does, they learn the tools to stay safe and they begin to thrive. They start thriving at a level that, that they never knew existed before. I have one gentleman who actually started this in 2006 with, he just started, he started a company about six years, six years ago that's now valued at a trillion dollars. And he's got a new wife, He's the happiest guy ever. 
And this is, a, I mean, a, a trillion dollar company is a little bit unusual, but people get new relationships, new jobs, new careers. I mean, people thrive because you're not fighting this survival reaction. So that's why I was so inspired by this. And it was so distressing to see people come in with surgeries that shouldn't be done. And when you fail a spine surgery, it's a disaster. Nobody wants to take care of you because your surgeon's on his way or her way. The, the pain clinics are full. Physiatrists aren't necessarily into that mode anymore. And then your primary care is overwhelmed. So now you have a failed spine surgery. Where do you go? So the downside of a failed spine surgery is horrible. So I quit. And and now you're doing this. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I am familiar with your story. By the way, I want to show your book to my YouTubers. Do you really need spine surgery? Right? Do you really right. need it? And and um, you lay everything out there because people listening are probably like, oh my gosh, what do I do if I've gone to my doctor and he's like, okay, we're going to do eight fusions, you know, right? Um, you know, what do I do? So the book is really just to get people a different point of view and also maybe to tap into your, your, your uh, DOC, right? Your direct your own care program. So yeah. the the so here's the deal is a it's a it's a model we use since 2006 in my clinic. I gave a lecture to our North American Spine Society, and basically we took two variables. One one is the state of the nervous system, the other one is the nature of the anatomy. And so when you take those two variables, you come up with a grid for four choices. And it's a quick read in about 90 minutes. You can understand which part of the grid you go into. Then the rest of the book is a reference book based on what grid you ended up in. And so it makes a very clear decision-making process. It gives you some feedback to evaluate your own nervous system, whether you're ready to go or not. It tells you whether the surgery is possible or not. Essentially, every person that's read the book, and I'm not against surgery, by the way. I'm for surgery that works, but probably 70% of spine surgery shouldn't be done. So if you're surgical, there's things to do to optimize your outcomes. If you're not surgical, there's nothing to fix, don't do it. So Essentially, everybody that's read the book, by the way, has said, nope, I'm going to do this otherwise. And again, even surgical lesions can get better without surgery because what you're doing, you're programming a different desktop in your computer. It's like a virtual desktop in your brain where this new desktop doesn't have pain in it. You can program yourself around almost anything. It's incredible. Don't, don't you um, think, because I ran into this, I was thinking while you were talking that a lot of people you know, they're in, they're in chronic pain. They don't really understand the, the, what you've talked about today with the anxiety, right. but they wanted someone to fix it. So right. they think the surgery is a fix, right? As opposed to your program, which really invites people to come in and be a part of their own journey, right? Well, again, the, one of the problems I get to do, I'll say this tongue in cheek, but I'm serious, is that this program is easy. It's not about David Hanscom. And it's not hearts. But remember the people, the reason why people think like that is because that's what medicine has marketed to them. Yes. And then they take your type of practices and what I'm advocating and say, well, this is friend stuff. They have no data. There's not one research paper in 60 years that says spine surgery works. They have no data. You have data. The neuroscience says, here's the data. So medicine right now has completely ignored the neuroscience data over the last 20 years. And it's right here in front of us. One paper out of Baltimore showed that only 10% of surgeons were addressing the risk factors that portended a poor outcome, only 10%. I mean, my latest one that got me really upset, went a little bit more fired up today than usual, 
one of my prior fellows as chief of neurosurgery in Detroit. He just saw a second opinion that was recommended for a woman from her neck to pelvis fusion. That's 12 hours of surgery, a 75% complication rate, and she was 87 years old. Wow. It's insane. This is what's happening. The last five years has become a free-for-all. Like I said before, we have 1.2 million surgeries done per year. If only 20, and so remember, it's the fusions that have been the worst thing. A lot of those surgeries work. I'm not against surgery completely. But, but again, what the book will tell you is when you do it. And unfortunately, I'm just going to say this unequivocally, there's many excellent surgeons that you can trust, but there's many surgeons that you cannot trust. They're, they're not even walking into the room. So if a doctor wants you to have your imaging ahead of time so that they can make a decision on the first visit, that's not correct. You don't know them. They don't know you. And that's not correct. That is not medicine. That's an assembly line. So do not do that. Do not make a surgical decision on the first visit. And if there's sort of this whole thing, we'll get the imaging upset, you know, get the imaging ahead of time. And we'll make a decision on the first visit. It's not correct. It is absolutely against what medicine's all about. You're treating only symptoms. You don't know the person you're treating. Remember, we go back to the original model that you, your body creates symptoms by processing the environment. So there's two factors. One of them is your coping skills as a person. Some people have better coping skills than others than the actual environment. So if you come from a tough background and your coping skills are marginal, it takes less stress to create the symptoms. If you have a high set of coping skills, you can still have the same symptoms if you hit that tipping point. So we don't know the person, we don't know who they are, and we don't know their environment. So to accurately assess a patient, which doesn't take very long, by the way, who are you, how do you deal with the world, and what's your current situation? So I can't begin to tell you the amount of suffering people go through. And it's bad. I mean, this one gentleman, for instance, in this group I told you about, am I operating on your pain or your um, anxiety? That what happened with him is that his daughter had leukemia. He had lost his business. He lost his marriage. And he was stressed. And over about six months, he went to pain-free. None of these people had surgery, by the way. They all went to pain-free. All had surgical lesions. But you have to calm down the nervous system for two reasons. One is to improve your chance of decreasing the pain, but also to think clearly. When you're stressed and anxious, you're not making good decisions either. Well, and I was thinking about what you said earlier about pain, you know, shrinking the brain or something like right. that, right? Yeah. Um, I'm also thinking about, uh, you know, the opioid epidemic. Like I'm thinking about spinal surgery and, and that. Can you, that obviously is part of what's happening here, right? Right. Yeah. So there are always... Only reason I could make a living in the last five years of my practice is because I was on call and probably over half the patients I did surgery on had infected spines from IV drugs. So what happens with IV drugs, you get bacteria in your bloodstream, it lodges in the spine and it creates an abscess that destroys the spine. So we're doing these massively complicated surgeries of people that are heroin addicts and shooting up drugs. So that's how I made, that's how I made my living, which I didn't feel, feel very good about. That's where I really learned is the mental pain is a bigger problem because what happens, what they're using the opioids for is to mask the anxiety. Mm. I use the word mental threat. So that's where I wrote an article called A Viable Solution for the Opioid Epidemic are these principles, whether, whether they're in my format or somebody else's format, I don't care. But by calming down the nervous system, you've gone to the root cause. So instead of treating opioid addiction, then treat the root cause of the anxiety. What drives this stuff, when I say the word anxiety, again, that's the body's heightened physiological state. There's over 
30 potential symptoms from a heightened physiological state. So the bottom line is between the symptom of addiction, the root causes is relentless, elevated sympathetic response. So we had lots of success actually in opioid, <clears throat> opioid addicts. And actually, I would say, I'm not, an, I'm not an addiction specialist. There's lots of variables to this. And you need to treat the addiction part of it, but you're not gonna succeed long-term until you treat the anxiety. So we had tremendous success in those people also. And I found out in my own practice, forget about IV heroin, which is a different level of addiction, but opioids are never a problem because as people's pain dropped, the side effects of the opioids were higher and there's lots of side effects. And people, believe it or not, most people, the vast majority of people do not wanna be on medications, especially opioids. This is not the way you want, it's not the way you wanna live your life, right? It's true. But, but they, have, they have no alternatives. So anyways, the pain dropped down, they would come off on their own. I had people on 2000 milligrams of morphine a day, go to pain-free, no drugs. But they did it on their own. They, had, they maintained control. But yeah, it's a huge implication for the opioid epidemic. And since it's, self, since it's so self-directed, it has huge public health implications. So it actually is a viable solution to the opioid epidemic. But again, if mainstream medicine just did what it's supposed to do, in other words, it just followed the data, my thing has, again, always been implement what we know. If we just did what we knew what was correct, we would not have this problem. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. you, you are providing for people, and I'm thinking, you know, you're a, you're, you were a spinal surgeon, and, and the book is, do you really need uh, spine surgery? But I'm very much hearing that anxiety is the pain and we could all benefit from your uh, direct your own care program. And by the way, right. for my listeners, it's an eight week program. And um, I highly recommend it, especially, you know, the expressive writing, the journaling was something I met you years ago and I, I picked it up from, uh, I saw you at a, at a thing at the surgeon i went went to listen right okay and i was so inspired by that that i myself have done that for years and years and years oh, cool. and quite often recommend it to my clients to do the journaling um but your program is really really amazing i'm i'm just putting my little endorsement on it but highly recommending that that people anybody and everybody check it out and particularly if you've had chronic pain or you're looking at back surgery or you've had some sort of issues with that um, we're, we have just a few minutes left. Um, what do you, what do you really want to say to people and where do they find you? So the book is on Amazon. It's called back in control, a surgeon's room about a chronic pain. And do understand is the mental pain is the biggest issue and it's not psychological. You're, you're, you're connecting to your body's physiology. And the concept is the sequencing thing. So everything in the book is something you've tried before. So people say, well, why should, why should I try this? I've already done this, this, and this. It's the sequencing. It's the sequence. You can't go uh. from pain-free to happy just by jumping over this huge chasm. So the first thing I say, look, embrace your disbelief. In other words, this is connected and engaged thinking. So I'm not asking you to believe in David Hanscom or the doctrine or anything. You shouldn't. So that's positive thinking, which is suppressing emotions. That's a problem. So the first place I say, look, embrace your disbelief. You don't have to believe one thing I'm saying, even through the process, don't believe anything. Just do it and let your brain heal. So the thing is, look at, look at yourself as a unit. Look at yourself as being programmed by your past. 
become aware of your programming, and then you learn the tools to choose the direction that you want to choose. And there's a metaphor in there called the ring of fire, which you can look at in the website and also the doc journey, which you get to occupy your entire life, including anxiety, including relaxation, including having fun. But when you're aware of what state of mind you're in, then you have a choice of where you want to go. So you get to occupy your entire life. And so it's not just about being in the green and being relaxed all the time. It's not about just escaping anxiety. It's about navigating anxiety. You're not going to solve it. You're going to assimilate it. And then you, then you have a choice wherever you want to go on a given day, but it's based on awareness. So please understand this is not difficult. You do have to be open to learning something, or as one person said, suspend your disbelief and just see what happens. Why would someone not want to get rid of their pain? So this is something I've only learned in the last six weeks. Because I had a tough journey myself. So I had a tough background. I was not raised in a safe environment. And so remember, anger and pain keeps you safe. And remember, there's no rewards in the wild for being vulnerable. So I used to say, well, pain's addicting because it is just powerful. You feel powerful. You're, you know, all these chemicals are up. So people get addicted to their pain. I get it. They get addicted to anger around pain. I get it. But what's actually, I think, more important is that people don't know how to be vulnerable. They don't tolerate being vulnerable. So they can't give it up. It took me for 10 years to figure this out. I couldn't, why would somebody not want to give up their pain? But if you don't know how to be vulnerable, which is a learned skill, by the way, which I'm still learning, you yeah. can't give it up, right? Does that make right. sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. So for me, even say the word vulnerable, honestly, as a surgeon, it's been a little bit tricky for me. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Because I mean, that's how we get to where that's how we where we got to. I mean, we're tough. Bring it on. I mean, so that the word vulnerable does not resonate with me very well. I got to tell you. Yeah. But I, but I am learning. I have to tell you that I uh, applaud your coming forward today with this information. I think it's vital for everybody. And uh, yeah, take take back control, right? Right. <laughs> take back control. I, I think right. that's your other book, right? Where do people find you? What are your websites? And so, um, so the main, the website is backincontrol.com, which is an archives of hundreds of hundreds of articles I've written. And um, then the, the new product or new process is called the doc journey. It's a one-year subscription, which includes an eight-week course. There also will be an app included in it coming out in about three weeks. And then we'll also be adding on a family section, which is a whole different topic, which I'd love to talk to you about. Turned out that the family triggers are the deepest triggers. And so chronic pain affects the whole family. So we're excited about that. So is that is, so go to the website backincontrol.com and you'll see the link to the doc journey, which is the subscription part of it. And then do you really need spine surgery? If you're remotely considering surgery, it's a resource that will really help you out. And, um, and then you can, once you join the doc journey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm relatively accessible to answer questions. I can't give medical advice, but I'm happy to sort of guide people in the right direction. Great. Thank you so much. This is Loretta Brown, my guest today, Dr. David Hanscom. Do you really need spine surgery and also backing control? Blessings, everybody. Take care of yourself. Be sure to exhale. We breathe in through, and out through the nose. Hum. And let's do this. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Great to have you. Thanks.